we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Hello, good morning. How are you all doing? It's good to uh, see you here today. And uh, I just love gathering together. Thanks for uh, coming out on your bank holiday weekend. Um, we are currently going through the Beatitudes, and uh, I didn't mention this last week, but if you haven't picked up one of these, it's a free booklet. Uh, it's like a short chapter, like one page, two pages, uh, for each of the nine Beatitudes, which we're looking at as a church, which are in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and they're all available free every single week at the back of the room. Um, so, so that's those. The other thing just to mention is that in a few minutes we're going to be speaking from Matthew chapter 5, um, which you can start to turn to. And it might be that you do not have your own Bible. If that is the case, you can borrow one of ours. Hey. And so if, if you would like to borrow a Bible, we're going to be in several books of the Bible today. Put your hand in the air, do that now, and uh, our stewards are going to bring, bring you one to your seat. Um, so uh, as, they, as they come down, just indicate, you can, you can use that for the morning. It might also be that the reason your hand is up is because you just don't own a Bible. And if that's the case, then do you know what? You can keep this as a free gift from Centerpoint Church. Just pop your name in the front and it's yours. It will bless you. And uh, I want to encourage you to read it, look at it, cherish it. It's a good thing to have. So that's, that's those. Um, keep your hand up if you haven't got one. They're, they're still coming around, passing them to you. And uh, uh, one, yeah, two other things just to mention is that on Wednesday evening, we had our vision focus evening and uh, we recorded the whole thing. And so you can... Uh, we have like a, a private Facebook group which you can choose, like ask request to be a member of. So if you haven't done that already, just search Centerpoint Members and Friends, and uh, it's it's all on there. So you can find out um, all that we shared, all the news. I won't rehearse it all now, um, but there's lots of stuff going on in church, and uh, you know you've seen a bunch of stuff already from Cherished and uh, other things going on. There's men's ministries, there's all sorts of things, and I just want to encourage you to keep keep up to date with all that we're doing. And yesterday. We, um, a bunch of us went out to um, uh, the community. We went into the community as part of something called Ready for Action. And um, so we, we got together, we went into um, people's homes that were referred to all the churches um, from the council. We went into their homes to help clear out litter, um, re, you know, redo gardens, mow lawns, trim hedges and and just really bless our community and you know it was a really great time in fact the guys from matrix um trust who were kind of the um charity that organizing the whole thing on behalf of the churches were especially complimentary uh, about us as a church and so i'm really proud of us you know they're just delighted to see so many of us out there and uh, we had really quite a really high proportion actually of people from any one church going so that was really great to see and i also want to give a special thanks to brian and colin who were kind of heading it, the whole thing up for us, who were leading two of the teams and uh, went along to the meetings and helped to plan it all. So well done to you guys. Let's give them a, a round of applause. Well done, guys. Good. So, yeah, like I said, we're carrying on this series in the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are um, some statements that Jesus makes about people who know God. They're not, it's not necessarily a list of do's and don'ts. It's like, 
it's, it always starts blessed or flourishing is the person who. And um, we're going to carry that on today. Um, but before we do, I want to ask you a question. And the question is this. Put your hand up if you're righteous. Hmm. Yes, I thought that might be the case. I saw some uh, tentative hands, some going up, some saying, I don't know the answer. (laughs) Am I righteous? Um, If I had said something like this, put your hand up if you're a child of God. I think everyone who was a Christian would have put their hand up straight away. Yeah, it's easy for us to relate. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a child of God, I know that. Well, do you know what? In order to be a child of God, God has to... um, make you righteous he makes you holy and blameless in his sight he does that through um, Jesus death on the cross by putting your trust in him you receive what's called his righteousness his rightness you you um, are no longer seen by God as someone who is a sinner who has shame and guilt on their life but someone who receives who is seen as in Jesus perfection and so Uh, here's another question why do you think it is that it perhaps is difficult to identify as righteous what what are the kind of negative you can shout them out what the kind of negative connotations that kind of come out with that word righteous pride arrogance arrogance, yeah self-righteous yeah any others I I think they're, they're all right that this, this kind of, um, this word righteousness can conjure up all sorts of kind of negative feelings in, um, in the UK, especially. Not all around the world, but in the UK. And so I think it's a really good topic to look at. So I mentioned we're going to read Matthew chapter 5. Hopefully you're there by now. I'm just going to read the first few verses. And we're going to major on one particular verse, which, which I'll end on. It says this, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And the verse that we're focusing on today, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or satisfied. I won't read the rest. You know, yesterday um, we... We were sort of out during the day, and I tell you, by the end of the day, I was, I was hungering and thirsting. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, we had kind of food and drink during the day, but, you know, I was just ready to get home and kind of sit up, have a nice meal, maybe have a cider or something, have a nice cold drink with ice in it. And um, it kind of made me think as I was sort of, you know, had, you know, it's good being out in gardening and doing stuff like that because we've been picking out all sorts of pictures of kind of plants and, and leaves and growth and ploughing as we've been going through this series. And it was good for me to be out there. And it just made me realise I'm not sure that there's ever really been a moment in my life where I've really hungered and thirst for, for food and drink. I mean, I, I just can't really think of the closest I got was um, I used to be in the Scouts when, back when I was really cool. And um, it, I, they entered us, uh, a small team of us, it was about three or four kind of 14-year-olds, into this kind of survival weekend competition. And it was one of those where they 
uh, drop you off from a van in a location and you have three days to get to another location. You have hardly anything with you, no food, no tent, and you, you've got to survive. A survival weekend, you've got to survive. We kind of had things like stinging nettle soup. You had to kind of make your own fires and make your own bivouacs and, you know, camp out in, in the woodland and navigate, orientate. And it was actually it was quite a good weekend, to be fair. I don't know if they do that now. Health and safety has probably shut that kind of thing down. But it was great. At the end of the weekend when we arrived at this finish site, um, they had prepared like this roast dinner meal for everyone with vegetables, potatoes, meat, gravy. And the thing is, as a child, I'd never eaten that. All, all I ever ate, me and my brothers, was pasta, beans and cheese, like every day. If, if mum made anything else, she would give us pasta and beans. She would have it ready on the side for us because that's, that's what we ate. I just hate it. I hate it all, all this other stuff. And, but I tell you, when I arrived at that place, it was gone. I went for a second. The vegetables were just amazing. I couldn't believe it. And it was so good. But even that is not... I think Jesus' hearers, when they heard about blessed are those who hunger and thirst, they would know so much more what that really meant. When you're in a desert and you can't just turn on the tap to get your cold running water where you have to walk for hours to go find the nearest well and then carry it back to your family. And that is a daily occurrence to you. You, can't, you know what it means to hunger and thirst in, in a deeper sense than what I think I've ever experienced. And um, I've, uh, I read um, a couple of books about a couple of people who have done trips in the desert. And there was one particular guy who um, he, there was some, one of the water containers burst and um, it was their last one. They had no water and they still had a two-day trek through the desert before they got to the nearest water well. And um, so they had, they had food, but they had no water. And he said, after like a day of having nothing to drink, they, it's not like, okay, you have food, but they couldn't, he couldn't even eat the food because he, he, all his mouth, everything was so dry that just a bite of food felt like sandpaper scrubbing down his throat as he tried to do anything. And so they were, you know, the kind of motivation, the energy, the, the striving to want to get to that well was just, it, was all, it consumed all their thinking. All, everything that they were about was about doing this, was about... Getting there, And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is this deep down desire to want to seek righteousness in your life. And he says, as you, as you earnestly, as those same people who earnestly hunger and thirst and long for food and drink in that kind of situation, blessed is the one who also longs and hungers for righteousness. And they will be satisfied. And so to be honest with you, I think this whole series really is a little bit nuts because it's completely countercultural. Because Jesus is talking about human flourishing and he's kind of answering these questions how can humans be the most happy? Uh, how can they be the most blessed? How can they be the most flourished? And these statements, these beatitudes, they, they outline that. And the first four statements, which, or the first three that we've looked at so far, and the fourth that we're going on today, um, they all start off, blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, or the humble, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's completely countercultural to everything that we know about. 
Our whole lives are built around the basis of actually trying to get away from these things, trying to get out of poverty, out, away from grief and, and trying to live as long as we can and, and in that kind of sense and, and away from really humility and meekness but trying to be the best we can and strive for the best and overcome all the different kind of obstacles that we can and, and certainly away from hunger and thirsting. And so it's just a complete like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Completely countercultural. And it would be easy for us in the West to kind of dismiss these statements patronisingly and kind of say, oh, isn't it so good that Jesus also cares for those who are poor? And isn't it so good, oh, I'm so pleased that those people in I don't know, Africa somewhere can, can read these verses and know that God loves them too and that he cares for the poor and the needy and the meek and kind of think that this doesn't really apply to us because, well, we're, I'm, that's not me, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm blessed. And if you think that, you've completely missed what Jesus is talking about. Because he is not talking about physical hunger. He's not talking about even really physical mourning. He's not really talking about um, poor. He's, it, all of it is like poor in spirit. It's mourning out of the state of your sin and the sin around you. It's being humble to come before a God who is, who is a just judge and over all things. And it's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. These things are particularly highlighted, or certainly this hunger and thirsting stuff is particularly highlighted in the, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly in Matthew chapter 6. Um, there's, a, there's a key part in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. You can turn to it if you, if you want to. It says this, this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat and what you will drink. It's this hunger and thirsty. Not even about what you, you will wear, and nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies in the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Hunger. What shall we drink? Thirst. What shall we wear? running out after all the different things in life. For the, even the Gentiles, people that don't know God, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows all you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we're called to seek. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry for itself. Uh, all of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God about his righteousness, um, is just completely countercultural. I think, really, to all that we are taught and brought up to know. There is so much more to life than just filling our bellies and wearing nice clothes and having nice homes. No, actually, there's, uh, we're, there's a desire in us that we're called to long for righteousness, for justice, for purity, for God to be made known throughout the generations. And so the main thing that I want to look at today is what is this righteousness that we should be hungering and thirsting for? And if it's not food and drink and clothing, if it's not perishable things like that, then what is it? 
and can it truly satisfy? So what is righteousness? Well, righteousness throughout the Bible is spoken about in several different ways. It's spoken about in legal terms. It's also spoken about in moral terms and it's spoken about in social terms. And so we're just going to look at those three things. Legal, the word translated righteousness and um, is also translated justification. So um, they both come from the same Greek root word. And uh, that Greek word in our Bibles that we translate into English, um, we use then words like just or justice or justify, but also we sometimes use right or righteous or righteousness. And so it's important to know what they mean, especially because righteousness has this legal declaration. So justification kind of describes God's word or action. That's what it is to justify. God justifies through his word and through his actions. And righteousness points to the result of that action. Let me explain a bit more. The Jews, uh, they were people at the time who loved God and thought that they, were, they lived by all of his standards. And they pursued righteousness. But the righteousness that they pursued, Paul writes in uh, Romans uh, chapters 3 and 5 and 10 and 9, Paul writes that they failed to attain righteousness because they looked at it all in, their, in, the, in the wrong way. They sought to establish their own righteousness, a self-righteousness, this pride, this arrogance that, that comes out of ticking a bunch of lists and doing a bunch of stuff. And they didn't look for a righteousness that comes from God. And so in, in uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, Paul says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified or made right. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christians are justified, they are made right, the righteousness is bestowed on them, Paul writes, not because they do a bunch of things, tick off a bunch of things, not because they go to church, not because they read the Bible, not because they might give to the poor, not because they do anything other than put their trust in Jesus. And when they put their trust in Jesus, the Bible says they are justified, they are, they are made right. And the, the result of this righteousness is, or the result is that God sees people who put their trust in Jesus as holy, blameless, spotless and clean. I was getting um, my hair cut the other day. Uh, it was on Friday, actually. You know, I know it looks good. Thank you very much. And um, my, my hairdresser, we were chatting. We were chatting about church and stuff like that. And uh, he comes from Colombia. And he was, uh, we were just talking about... Um, our expression of Christianity and meeting at the Odin and stuff like that. And he was saying to me that he, 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 would never, he wouldn't want to go to church because his experience of church is full of people who, uh, who, are, who are, it's just full of perfect people and he couldn't ever match up to that. Or it's full of people pretending to be perfect and they're all hypocrites. And why would I want to associate with people like that? And... Um, he knows he's not perfect and he, he, know, he, he just recognises that. He knows, he, he believes that there must be a God. He, he just sees that in creation, in life. He knows all this kind of stuff. But the last place he would go to, want to go is to church on a Sunday because it's full of hypocritical people who, who act like they are perfect when clearly they're not. 
And so I, I said, you know what, you're absolutely spot on. That sometimes that's how Christians can be perceived. But, and you're right, they're, but they're not like that. They are imperfect. Every single person in church on a Sunday is imperfect. They, they mess up. And you know what? They know that they are imperfect. But they can receive forgiveness from a God who is willing to give it to them because Jesus was perfect. And uh, I was explaining to him justification by faith. But I didn't use those words. Um, and so uh, what I started to do is to talk about uh, a court case analogy. Imagine that um, you are someone who has got a credit card and every time you mess up, you, money goes onto your account. The account just gets more and more in debt because we are people who are imperfect and we mess up every single day. Every time we lie, cheat, steal, look at someone lustfully, think about someone in a hateful way or in an anger way. Every time we um, do things that are counter to God, we sin. And this racks up a massive debt, a debt that we cannot pay. And as we go to the law of court, the, the court law, the judge can sit there, he can look at our bank statement and see the debt. It is there. there is, there's no disputing that. The, the, the money has racked up. You cannot argue with it. It has been spent. It's been spent on this sin and that sin and that sin and that sin, and it has racked up a massive debt. And that is what every single person in the world is like before God, a holy and just God. Our bank statements are in the red. They, we are, you know, ruined, unable to even make a dent on it ourselves. And when we, um, but what happens in the Bible, the Bible tells us is that God, the judge, um, basically sends his son to pay the price of that debt on our behalf. His credit card is in the plus. He's in the black, as it were. And he has enough credit to bestow on every single person in the whole wide world, whoever puts their trust in him, so that your, le your bank statement is then not in the red. It's in the plus. And he sends you your Holy Spirit to, to fill you. And so the legal declaration on your life is innocent, set free, no debt owed. And it doesn't matter how you feel or how how much you think like you're not worthy of this or how much you, you might continue to, to mess up. The, 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 the bank statement it declares legally that it, there is nothing to pay. Nothing is owned. The debt is cleared. It's all been wiped. And it's been wiped by Jesus who has an amazing credit card, as it were. And so, um, and so as, we, as I was explaining this to him, I was saying that actually what that means, therefore, is that... You don't need to worry about coming to a church on a Sunday morning because you are standing there with every single person who knows that they, they had a debt that they could not pay. And that debt has been paid in Jesus. And the only reason why they could possibly come before a God and pray to him is because of Jesus. And so it's out of gratitude and gratefulness. The only way that they could possibly live a life that God calls them to is out of gratitude and gratefulness. Because their, their bank statement has been legally declared, like, debt-free. Set-free. Gone. Free. Justified. God is a just God. And he collects your debt from Jesus. And your legal declaration over your life is justified. You could say it like this. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never messed up. 
just as if I'd never done those bad things, and just as if I'd never racked up that debt in the first place. I am set free, pure, declared legally righteous, never to have had the debt held against me. And so the Bible says that this legal declaration, um, as, we, as we long for this, as we pursue God's righteousness, it's something that is bestowed on us free, as a free gift. It's a free gift from God, given to us in faith. Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for that righteousness, for the righteousness that only comes through Jesus, uh, through Jesus the Son, not from their own. God's perfect righteousness, and he gives it to all those who put their trust in him. And so that's uh, the legal declaration, sorry. So to justify, describe God's words or actions. God does something. God's word, he sends his son, that's an action. And the righteousness that comes out of that, the result of that is that, is that we are given righteousness, we are set free. There is also moral, because there's a moral aspect to righteousness. Um, we've been talking about these beatitudes and talking about how they build on one another. And so it starts off, the one who is poor in spirit, the person who recognises that they have nothing to offer God for their salvation, who receives uh, the Holy Spirit who breathes life into them, they're made alive in Christ, who's that person who is able to know God because they know that they have nothing to offer God in themselves. The person who is poor in spirit can be blessed. And that person will then, uh, who's alive in, in Christ, is, then looks at the state of their life, looks at their sin and mourns. They mourn their sin and they mourn the state of sin around them. And they can see how utterly devastating it is to themselves and against God who breathed this life into them in the first place. That person who mourns is then humble, who is meek, who comes before God and who seeks him in everything, places him at the centre of all their lives and all that they do. And um, they give up all sorts of different things to gain Christ and to know him because they're humble. And it follows then that that person who has a legal declaration of innocence, debt-free, set-free, placed on them, who is justified, labelled innocent in his sight, it follows that those people would then hunger and thirst and pant and seek for a righteousness to do God's will on earth. To, uh, out of all this that they've received, to then live as people who, who acknowledge this, this, acknowledge all that they received. It's like, generally, you know, if someone gives you a wonderful teddy bear, you, you acknowledge that, don't you? Out of gratitude for that, you might say thanks. You might want to chat to them, speak to them and, and talk to them. In the same way, our gratitude for all that God's done to us, we want to live in relationship with him and walk as he, as he would encourage us to walk. Having received so much from him, we would want to look to him because he teaches us and encourages us how to live life. And we think, oh yeah, well if you would have done all of that for me, maybe even the other ways in which you encourage me to live my life might be good as well. And we can learn to trust him and obey him and all this. We were singing that. Help me to obey earlier. And so this, all of this stuff has to do with character and conduct. And so Matthew 18, this is Jesus again in, in Matthew. And uh, Jesus is, uh, decides to um, use a parable to talk about what the kingdom of God is like. And he says this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's about 25 years worth of wages. So think about 
how much you earn, times that by 20, you know, per year, times that by 25. That's kind of how much this debt was that this person owed to, to uh, the king. And uh, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had so that the payment could be made. And so the servant fell at his knees, imploring, pleading, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. You know what, this guy is, um, he hasn't got a clue. He's never going to be able to pay this. But he's like, oh, look, I'm sure I could make it work. I'm sure I can make it happen. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found out that his fellow servant, someone else, owed him 100 denarii. That's like one day's wages. He had 25 years worth of wages owed and someone else owed him one day's wages. What did he do? Does he say, oh, don't worry about it. I've been blessed much, so you be blessed. Let's find out. No, it says this. Um, Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and in the same way pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll, I'll pay you. But he refused and he went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, when other people around saw this, they were greatly distressed. They were like my barber, looking at the situation, thinking, what a hypocrite. What on earth is going on here? They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as he had had mercy on you? And so um, he ended up being thrown into jail. And uh, the reason why I bring up that story is because um, it shows exactly what the kind of the kingdom of God is like, that as people who have been forgiven a great debt, they don't act like this. They don't act like this, this uh, person did in the story. Having forgiven all of that, that's, that is not the response that we should see. Actually, we are called to hunger and thirst for this righteousness that will produce, uh, will, will work its way out in our conduct and in our character. That we won't be people like this who, who think that it's, that it's all about ourselves. Because this person, I believe, having been kind of set free of his own debt, deep down, actually, I think somehow he thought he deserved it. Maybe he thought that somehow his circumstance or whatever was just kind of, he was like the exception to the rule and somehow he he deserved to be let go of this. He was completely delusional. He hadn't realised how great his debt was against against the the king. And um, we we can similarly sometimes, I think it's possible for us to do the same. It's to somehow think before God, well, I'm sort of the exception to the rule. It wasn't my fault that I sinned in that way. Or it wasn't my fault that I got myself into that state. And of course, God is really going to forgive me anyway, because that, that, wasn't, that wasn't me. We kind of absolve ourselves. It's possible to absolve ourselves from responsibility. And kind of then what happens is really we build up our own self-righteousness, our own pride. And all that does is seek to put us on a pillar. And then we think that somehow having received forgiveness and righteousness and justification that somehow we earn our way there and then we start standing on platform and that's when we start being hypocritical and looking down on others because they don't measure up because look at all that I've done to get myself here look at all that I've done and this is not what the the bible is calling us to it's calling us to seek a righteousness that understands that it's all been given as a free gift by God that he has paid your debt so that you can come into relationship with him 
and know him. And then out of that, that your character and your conduct will then reflect into the world as God reflects on you. And so it all stems from a heart attitude, uh, deep down understanding who we are before God. And so I wonder, you know, I'll just ask, here's a couple of questions just to think about. What does it mean, you know, where do you need to seek kind of oh, hunger and thirst for righteousness in your life? Where, I wonder, where are you acting hypocritically? In light of all that Jesus has done for you, his grace, his kindness, his compassion, if you know him. Who, how are you treating other people? Are there people that you are treating in such a way that you feel somehow they deserve that? Because they, oh, they've made their own bed, they need to lie in it. If I was to ask your colleagues, your neighbours, your friends, your family about your character and your conduct at home, what would they say? Would they say, oh, man, this guy, you can tell that he's been absolutely blessed by God because he just can't stop blessing everyone around him. He's so patient and kind and loving and gracious. Or do they say, oh, he's a bit moody sometimes. He, he's not really patient with me. He gets really angry with me. and Or she, she, she never kind of forgives. Like, if I do something wrong, that's it. I'll never hear the end of it. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? We're called to hunger and seek and thirst after this righteousness that God gives us. And, and out of that, that displays itself in our lives. Not, we don't do that in order to try to get the righteousness from God. No, no, he gives us that freely when we put our trust in him. And because of that, that's when we then act. But it would be wrong to then think that righteousness is only between you and God. It would be wrong to think that it's just a personal affair. There is a social aspect to righteousness that uh, is shown throughout the Bible as well. Social righteousness, um, as we learn through the Old and New Testament, has to do with people's liberation from oppression, uh, the promotion of civil rights, justice in the law, integrity in business, honour in the home, and much, much more. And you know what? The Jews, they were after their own righteousness. They were self-righteous. And it's why sometimes we hear this word and we want to just run away from it because we don't want to be associated with that. And that's absolutely right. And uh, when they used to fast, what they would do is they would like look all drawn and gone. They wouldn't put their makeup on. They, they would kind of make themselves like look really thin and, and struggle around the street. Oh, why, why are you like that? Oh, it's because I'm fasting, because I'm holy. And, you know, they would, they would make themselves look like they were doing all these things, all whilst at the same time mistreating other people and walking past beggars, not, not being kind, weighing heavy loads on people's shoulders and trying to make them to stand up to some kind of standards that even they weren't reaching themselves they were being hypocritical um, they were being self-righteous and and it's not good and what happens it all turns to this pedestal stuff and so um, let's pick one from the old testament in isaiah um, isaiah you know I, it's almost like being prophetically talking to these guys who are you know fasting in that way he's saying this is not this, this is Isaiah 58, verse 6, is not this the fast that I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? 
Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness will, shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from the midst and the pointing finger and speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy or fulfil your desires in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. There is a social righteousness that the Bible calls us to um, and it's not just enough to mourn over our past sin and kind of leave it there but we are called to look to, to walk forward and hunger for future righteousness. Just like the one who in the desert who hungers and thirsts for food and drink, you know they're going to need to search it out again. They're going to need to go again and again. You know, just in the same way, God's people need to continually pursue a righteousness, to continue to be allow God to transform their, their lives and their minds. And, you know, we're kind of like, until Jesus returns or until we die, that, is, that process is not completed. And so in the meantime, we're called to abide in Jesus. And um, so I'm going to get ready to finish up now, but I want you to picture a leaf. Um, our culture says, be free. It's all about the individual and uh, go, go your own way. No, no, like, you know, who you are and do all this thing. Don't, don't be tied down to anything. Don't commit to anything. Just, just be free and, and allow the wind of life to blow you wherever it goes. And do you know what? Nature tells us that leaves need to be rooted to a tree to receive all its nourishment and nutrients. And... Uh, leaves they draw everything that they need from two places they draw down from the deep roots all the nutrients they receive from deep on the ground from deep in the soil uh, in order to to feed them and they also strain towards the sun as you know in that amazing process of photosynthesis and that brings life not only to the rest of the tree but also life to everything around them and so we're called to hunger and thirst deep down into God's word deep into God all that we can from him um, freely feeding from his goodness and from his word and as we do that we strain strain to, to, towards the Holy Spirit and we receive from the Holy Spirit and, and from that we're able then to bless every, everyone else in our midst and our whole community as we release oxygen, release the goodness of, of grace and joy and into, into our world and that brings greatness to, to everything around and so this righteousness that we receive it's, it's, it comes from God and it's a free gift but it, it comes out in blessing not just the the rest of our church family but also the rest of the community that we're a part of you know everyone knows that as soon as a leaf drops from a tree doesn't matter how pretty it looks how wonderful it looks like on these pictures we all know that they're as good as dead aren't they they might look pretty for a little while but they're as good as dead in order to be a flourishing leaf in order to bear great fruit in order to to flourish in your life, to be blessed in your life, you need to be rooted into God's word, receiving from the Holy Spirit, trusting in him. So it'd be good to get the band back up. Uh, as the band come back, come back up, just want to ask you these questions again to reflect on. I asked at the beginning, are you righteous? And the, I guess the question really is, are you seeking righteousness? Not the hypocritical self-righteousness, 
But how are you hungering, thirsting, seeking for, for God's righteousness in your life? I wonder, what's the verdict on your life? What's the legal declaration that God has over you? If you've put your trust in Jesus, if you've, if you've believed in him, then you can know that it's innocent, set free, son of God. You can be confident in that. You know, if you haven't, there's an opportunity today to do that. You can give your life to him and you will receive that same declaration, innocent, set free, not from your own works, not from your own doing, but for all from what God has done. What about your conduct? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. What would my hairdresser say about you? Someone who's pretending to be perfect or someone who knows they're imperfect, saved by grace and willing to share that with all, everyone around them? What about your attitude to society? Is it all their fault anyway? Live in their own beds, lie in their own beds? We can be so quick to assess situations based on our limited view of what is right. But we're called to seek God's righteousness. That's why it's so important, wasn't it, for us to get out into the community, to meet those people yesterday, to get out into the fun day, to, to invite people to Alpha, to encourage people to get to know Jesus. We're demonstrating the gospel to him. We're a leaf who's receiving, drawing out from God and releasing oxygen, releasing the goodness of all that it is to be known by God and blessed by grace in him. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.